Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to episode four of Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial. I'm Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial and your host. We have an extra special guest today, someone I'm really excited to talk to and share with everyone, my good friend and mentor, the founder and CEO of Heritage Financial, Chuck Bean. Chuck's an industry legend, having spent over 25 years in the business building a top-tier independent wealth management firm and is regularly featured as one of the top financial advisors in the country. Chuck and I are going to talk about what he's learned over the course of more than 25 years in the financial planning business that can help individuals and families achieve their goals. Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, Chuck. Thank you, Sammy, for that incredible introduction. I appreciate it. No problem. Happy to do so. So let's start a l- with a little bit of, of your background. You know, Talk to us about your experience in the industry and how you got started. Sure. Um, I can't believe it's stretched over three decades now. I started the business 32 years ago. Uh, I graduated from Boston College with my finance degree and immediately started my career in 1990 with John Hancock Financial Services, where I was able to obtain all my securities licenses and started working on a couple of advanced designations, the Charter Life Underwriter and Chartered Financial Consultant. Uh, designations, all the while building a successful retail book of business. And uh, within five years, I was fortunate to be one of John Hancock's top representatives, but want to talk to my clients more, more independence, more choices than just uh, representing one proprietary company's product. So in late 95, I followed my entrepreneurial spirit and started Heritage Financial Services. Uh, We affiliated with an independent broker dealer, Commonwealth Financial Network at the time, and Commonwealth allowed us to provide in financial advice and investment solutions across the whole spectrum, really without restriction. And uh, while at Commonwealth, we formed the RIA, which is the Registered Investment Advisor at Heritage. That was in year 2000. And uh, Commonwealth was a tremendous partner during those formative years, where we were really able to leverage all their back office resources, operations, technology, financial planning, investment support to build a strong client-centric practice. So uh, I was fortunate to be named one of their top advisors for the last five years until we decoupled from the broker-dealer in 2009 and then became a fully independent RIA and personal wealth management firm. And that's Heritage Financial, which, which I think started in the Commonwealth days, but that's the, the independent RIA that you referred to. Tell us a little bit about Heritage. So uh, we built the business from a small two-person shop, me and a secretary, back <laughs> in 1995 to today what I deem to be is a very thriving independent personal wealth management firm. We're comprised of 38 highly credentialed employees with all kinds of varying degrees of expertise. We have nine client-facing advisory teams, each with deep and diverse planning expertise and background with complementary skill sets. Each team consists of a seasoned wealth manager who leads a client relationship and works alongside a wealth advisor uh, in a co-advisory capacity. They're both certified financial planners. Uh, They typically have other advanced designations and areas of specialization that complements the other advisors in the firm. Uh, Each of these teams is supported by three internal groups. We have a financial planning team, an investment uh, management research group, and our service and ops team. So as mentioned, Heritage is an RIA, which by design is a fiduciary. Uh, What that basically means is we're doing what's in the best interest of our clients. We place a strong emphasis on our core values, 
which are teamwork, integrity, and excellence, and I'm very proud of our mission, which is simply to make a positive and lasting financial impact on the people in our lives and those we serve. We accomplish this mission as wealth management professionals by gaining a real deep understanding, Sammy, of our clients' goals, build long-term client-centric relationships, and really guide them through the complexity of their financial lives. So even though we're based in the greater Boston area with a large percentage of our clients here in Massachusetts, believe it or not, Heritage now serves clients in 35 different states. And today we're serving over a thousand clients representing more than $2 billion of assets under management. Uh, and we've also enjoyed some great free advertising, as I call it, and <laughs> national recognition by the likes of Barron's, Forbes, Charles Schwab and Financial Advisor Magazine. He's being one of the top independent financial advisors uh, in the country. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 I know that recognition is is really important and, and reflective of uh, of all the hard work of our employees and the the clients who have trusted us over the years. And you touched on this a little bit in kind of introducing your background, Hancock to Commonwealth to the independent model. What did you feel like was so important in terms of for the end client? Why it mattered to go independent? So independent is all about being on the same side of the table as the client without regard to monetary incentive, uh, no quotas, no particular products, hidden fees, uh, revenue sharing behind the scenes, being able to offer unbiased, objective, independent advice in the best interest of the client is to me the only way one should be engaging a professional. So the independent model seemed to be the only solution for what we were looking to accomplish with our clients to give them the highest success rate and the best potential results. Absolutely. It's hard enough to come up with good investment and planning ideas if you have one hand tied behind your back and, and have you know potential proprietary product and solutions that you need to advocate for as, as well. One thing uh, with Heritage that's really a reflection of you and, and how you founded the firm and how we handle our, our clients is our motto, Every Detail Matters, uh, which is I think something that is baked into the firm because of your DNA and, and your approach. So I'd love to know where did that come from? What does it mean to you? Why is it important ultimately for clients to be working with a firm where that motto resonates? Sure. So um, we strive to be very timely with our client responsiveness and attract people to the heritage team. We really want to serve as true fiduciaries and acting in the, our client's best interest. We take the time to learn everything we can about our clients and dedicate a small team of advisors to each relationship. So they're always interacting with people they know and trust. Uh, we're constantly raising the bar with client deliverables and trying to enhance services. So uh, clients' wealth management needs are taken care of at the highest possible level. As we all know, the devil is in the details with everything in life. And early on in my career, I learned from some of the most successful people in the business that paying close attention to details really matters and delivers better results especially when offering important financial investment, tax, retirement, and estate planning advice. And it's all integrated. Before advisors can provide any sound or meaningful advice or prudent recommendations, you need to do your homework on the front end and uh, understand the entirety of that particular client's situation at hand. We need to review their tax returns. We need to understand their cash flow needs, what the spending plan looks like, how much they can save towards their goals, and ensure everything is integrated into a sound, well-organized plan. So we monitor dozens of internal data points internally for each client that covers all the important aspects of clients' retirement plans, uh, asset protection, debt management, social security, estate planning, income tax planning, philanthropy, helping educate kids and grandkids, 
with college, monetizing businesses, real estate transactions, you name it. And uh, everything gets integrated into a financial plan that allows us to provide ongoing sound advice. So the old, we all know there's an old adage of garbage in, garbage out. And the more we engage and understand all the issues and goals on the front end, the better the customized guidance and advice we can offer to match the client's needs and get better results. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that front end work is reflected in the way that we take on new clients and the three meeting process really that that you developed to introduce clients the right way to Heritage with a lot of upfront work to understand the details and, and build the right plan. So so Chuck, you've touched on the fact that you've been in the business uh, going into three decades now. And, and during that time, obviously, as an investor and an investment advisor, you, you've seen almost everything, right? Three bear markets, a couple of bubbles bursting, infinite market corrections, you know, the lost decade for investors, people chasing you know, growth stocks more recently that, that, have, that have struggled uh, a little bit. You know, what would your advice be to investors today who are wrestling with something that we haven't seen before really in our careers, which is higher inflation and much higher than expected that's rattling the markets? The way to combat uncertainty is design a portfolio allocated with enough pistons in the engine to weather whatever type of storms may brew and pass over. And with inflation rearing its ugly head today, we're implementing real assets into the portfolio that are great in he- inflation hedges uh, that are actually moving up during this year, 2022, while stocks and bonds are, are pulling back. Uh, we actually added to those inflation hedges and real assets early in the year, late last year. But you know, we don't time markets. Uh, it's impossible to know what the next best thing is going to be. So you must diversify. We look at a client's pie with lots of slices in it or Uh, an engine with lots of pistons, and some will go up and some will go down. And when they do, we rebalance. We have an algorithm internally with our investment team that monitors each asset class very closely. And when there's a varying degree of uh, standard deviation above and beyond what our tolerance level is, typically 20% swing or more, we're going to fix it. Fixing it is rebalancing, taking profits on some things and buying things when they're cheap. And that's counterintuitive to the average investor especially the do-it-yourselfer, because emotions get in the way, things are down, their mindset tells them to sell or abandon ship. When no, those are great buying opportunities. Back in early 2020, as the pandemic was starting to rear its ugly head and stocks were swooning down 20%, 30%, the S&P dropped uh, as much as 33% over a very short number of weeks, we were licking our chops. Our investment team had a plan in place to rebalance portfolios and sell some of the alternatives and fixed income holdings and buy stocks uh, while they were very attractive. So maintaining a disciplined uh, approach and having professionals guide you through the storms, to me, delivers the best results. Absolutely. One of my favorite clients is a lady who was tough cookie, but uh, super nice, shared with me the frustration was that you guys never tell us when to get out of the market. And I, I thought about that for a second. And, and it, it, why don't advisors ever say, get out? Because, you know, we're in a capitalistic society and asset classes are going to continue to escalate and appreciate in value over years and decades to come, uh, as long as there's positive inflation and uh, there's opportunities for business owners to thrive and make a profit. Risk assets are going to go up in value. Now they have their 
periods of cooling things off and taking a step back. But in the long run, the trend is your friend. Stocks have delivered returns you know, in around 10% going back many, many decades and, and even overlapping the Great Depression. Uh, bonds are going to give more modest returns in the mid to low single digits. And then you got real estate and private assets and inflation hedges, real assets that are also in that mid to maybe upper single digit range. So diversify, pick a portfolio that's appropriate for you, that's going to give the risk and return results you're after and stay committed, stay loyal, stay disciplined. Yeah. I mean, one thing we see is, is people have a tendency to jump from either strategy to strategy or to chase performance, which is, you know, typically a big mistake, a, a loser's game, so to speak. And right now people are, are facing that temptation with their bonds. They, they want to dump their fixed income. Bonds are struggling for the first time that they can really remember. And, you know, the advice is obviously stay the course. You, you can't just jump ship when an asset class, you know, struggles all of a sudden. Would you agree with that? What would you tell people who are looking to get out of their bonds right now? I would absolutely recommend they stay the course because those bonds are now yielding a much higher uh, dividend. And those dividends are reinvested every month. So they're buying more shares of the bond prices while they're low. So there's an internal dollar cost averaging process taking place. And again, the higher dividend yield. So um, bonds are going to have their phases like stocks and real estate and everything else. So it's a it's pistons in the engine. As, as a rule, we're underweight bonds in most client portfolios because of the low interest rate environment. And we've replaced them with some of the real assets to help juice up the returns and have a bit of inflation hedge. But to abandon ship would not be recommended. Uh, stay tried and true in the long run. This is great, Chuck. Any other investment mistakes that you've seen consistently over time? Just, you know, mention cash. You know, cash is a drag on portfolios. You know, you know, you know money market yields are still at or near zero. The Fed, uh, Jerome Powell and company have, have already started increasing rates. We're going to get several more rate increases this year. Cash will start to pay a little bit more. But in the long run, cash has always had a drag on investment returns. And people feel that that's safe money, that's money under the mattress, they can't lose it. It also is losing purchasing power every year because cash doesn't keep pace with the tax rates you pay on the little bit of yield and the inflation. You know, if inflation's up 8.5% year over year, which it is now, you're getting a real bad negative return on that cash holder. So cash is meant for short-term obligations, you're buying a car, you're putting a down payment on a home, you're funding a tuition bill, you've got you know, uh, working capital. That's money for the bank, for money market, CDs, et cetera. But long-term money for your saving or investment goals must be put to work. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's key is you, know, you can get overly concerned about short-term volatility, but money needs to go where it should go from an allocation standpoint. So your long-term money should be invested in long-term instruments. Your short-term money really should be set aside in cash. So it's not exposed to the market and you don't want to overdo it in, in one direction or the other. M maybe talk about the flip side of that. Um, we, we see it from time to time, probably just as often as we see people sitting on, on too much cash and that's taking too much risk in a, in a portfolio. And um, you, you know, I, I guess putting some of the portfolio at risk of a permanent loss of capital versus just volatility. Yeah, it definitely works on both sides. You know, some people look at the rearview mirror over the last several years. We've seen growth stocks, tech stocks, you know, well perform uh, value international, et cetera. And clients will uh, look at yesterday's news and, and, and ask us to position more dollars in those things that did well yesterday. 
And that's the absolute reverse of what they should be doing. They're, they're buying yesterday's news. They're buying at high points, maybe a market top. Uh, they're taking money out of other asset classes that are more reasonably priced that haven't had their full day in the sun yet. And, and that's, uh, those are wealth killing mistakes, you hate to say. So we need to be prudent uh, investors and prudent advisors, I should say, helping our clients make wise, sound decisions that are not going to get themselves in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And now, obviously, investing is is just one piece. We are wealth managers, which is more than just the portfolio. We are taking a a look at at everything, um, including the you know the the financial planning aspects of a client situation. And over the course of time, the financial planning becomes much bigger part of our uh, regular meetings with clients. There's much more going on than you know regular updates on a long term portfolio. What are some of the planning mistakes that if you've taken all those clients through the three meeting process and, and you've worked with clients across three decades, as you've mentioned, that, that you've seen that people can really focus on avoiding? And some of the real easy things, we put together a personal financial statement itemizing all their assets and liabilities by ownership, title, um, et cetera. In many cases, their life insurance policies, their IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, pension plans, don't have the most up-to-date beneficiary designation in place. Um, when they started working at Acme Company years ago, they were not married. They've had their mother listed as the primary beneficiary. They get married and have kids and things evolve and change. And they never thought to go back to HR and, and do an audit of their beneficiary designations and get them up to date. So we do that. We dot the I's, we cross the T's, we make sure we contact all the different uh, administrators and ensure that we've got the correct beneficiaries in place. Great. And related to that, I, I think a lot of times we see people who haven't even put the time in to get their estate plan done um, initially. Yeah, a lot of folks have a basic will, um, sometimes nothing more than that, maybe a power of attorney or healthcare proxy. But over the years, they've amassed some decent levels of wealth. They're in a taxable estate if they're a Massachusetts resident with over a million dollars. Uh, uh, doing some more advanced estate planning. Trust planning can preserve a million times two for husband and wife from estate tax planning and also ensure that the assets are probate free when left to the family. And they want to go through the fire drill and God forbid husband, wife, or both perish. What happens? How are these assets distributed? Should it be handed outright directly to their kids? Are the kids too young? Should there be a trustee appointed to ensure the oversight and management of those hard-earned assets? Um, even if they're a little older, do they still want those uh, children to get access to large sums of money, sometimes millions of dollars in one lump sum, or should it be held in trust and provide an income stream, maybe for the rest of their lives and then generations skip and avoid taxes to the next generation? So there's, depending on the size and complexity of the estate and the wealth that's created, uh, there are so many wonderful planning opportunities we can discuss with our clients and help design it properly. Yeah. One thing we focused on in episode two of Wealthy Behavior was personal liability insurance, because we see that a lot as a gap that people are just undercovered, underinsured. They don't have the right coverages in place. And so I would strongly recommend folks to take the time to, to, to listen to that one. But that's not really the only area we see people underinsured, is it? No, we see people underinsured with life insurance, long-term care insurance, uh, even property and casualty insurance. And, and I'm a big believer is if you've got financial resources to pay a higher deductible, increase the deductible, save on the insurance premium, 
but you know you want insurance for a catastrophic event. So make sure that the whole value of the home is covered, or or the value of the life of the individual is covered. But uh, keep the premiums as low as possible through proper plan design. Yeah, absolutely. And we're finding a lot of people are underinsured with disability insurance and overly reliant on what their company provides. So I think it's important to build that financial plan, look at the gap and be willing to address that gap uh, with with the right coverage in place. Um, and that's those are hard conversations because those those policies cost money, but they're extremely important if anything were to happen to you in terms of protecting your, your family's financial future. I think it's also important for each employee to take a look at their company benefits because there are these cafeteria plans have a lot of different options and coverages to choose from. And in many cases, once we request a copy of their employee handbook that itemizes all of the different benefits they can take advantage of, there's many that they're not utilizing. Um, some of it has dependent coverages in there. Some of it has long-term care coverages that are very uh, cost-effective uh, or supplemental life insurance at a reasonable rate. That, uh, that can fill in some of the blanks, fulfill the, the need for the right amount of coverage. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we we make it a point of looking at benefits and pay stubs periodically, just to make sure that there's nothing that um, should be taken advantage of from a planning standpoint that's not. You're a business owner, Chuck, and, and I know you have some thoughts on planning priorities for business owners or planning gaps that you see with business owners, uh, something that that obviously I focus on a lot with with my client base as well. W- what are maybe the top two or three things you would say to business owners in terms of their specific planning needs? You know, you really need to think about life after you with the business. Life after Chuck, what 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 is the succession plan? Who are the powers to be? Who's going to step into your shoes? Continue to carry the torch as strong or higher or better level than you are. And it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of preparation. It takes uh, hiring a professional or two to assist you in this regard and, and put it into writing and document it so that you're protecting your family, you're protecting the wealth that you've created. Uh, the last thing you want is to leave in a very unmanaged, unorganized box of assets and a business that your family, spouse, or kids are faced with w- without any clear path to succession. So succession planning is extremely important. It's an ongoing practice. Uh, uh, I was the single owner of Heritage years ago when it started. There are now 11 shareholders at the firm and growing. And I'm extremely proud of that. Uh, As our ownership base grows, the company grows, people are are running to work, not walking to work now. (laughs) The extra excitement of having ownership. And, uh, but clearly that's, that's an important one. Yeah, one of my business owner clients phrased it to me as as such. And he basically said, you need to figure out along the way how to extract the most cash from the business tax efficiently, which it was his way of saying sophisticated retirement plan design, take advantage of cross-testing profit-sharing plans, defined benefit plans as appropriate, which I know you and I find as completely underutilized, particularly in the small business owner space. And then you know, what's my exit strategy going to be for the business? Is it going to be an internal succession like you're talking about, or is it something external, but giving thought as to what's best for you, your family, your employees, your clients, uh, I think is extremely important. And um, on the retirement plan design in in particular, uh, I I find that to be an area of big opportunity for business owners to to shelter a, a lot more than they think, and you should not always be relying on your your CPA to to bring that up. I think a, 
a team-based approach with a financial advisor and a tax advisor are, are, are helpful in, in bringing those solutions to bear. 100%. Get the A-team together and uh, all collaborate, share ideas, and, and uh, they'll have a much more successful plan in the long run. Absolutely. So there's a lot there, obviously, from an investment and planning standpoint. You touched on you know, the, the extent of our internal financial planning checklist, the things that we want to be focused on with clients, which leads me to, to kind of one last question in, on this area is you, you really have built into the firm's DNA a focus on ongoing education, credentials, continuing your career development. And, and I just wanted you to touch on why that's so important to you and, and how you think that benefits the end client. So my late grandfather, Joe Pelusi, was my first coach and mentor in the business uh, back 30 some odd years ago. He's actually a Hall of Fame manager at Life and someone I truly aspired to be like someday. And uh, he really was able to extract the best from me. And he taught me the art of goal setting. He would have business goals on one side of an index card and personal goals on the other. And uh, inevitably on the business side, it revolved uh, focusing on higher education. Uh, What designations, degrees, uh, additional knowledge I'd like to gain. He said, uh, if you want to be successful in life, and make more cash. He said, spell it K-A-S-H. K is for knowledge. Knowledge is power. Um, If he had it his way, in addition to becoming a charter life underwriter, charter financial consultant, I then became an accredited investment fiduciary. He wanted me to become, uh, get a master's in taxation, uh, become an attorney, a CPA, and on and on and on. (laughs) And I said, Grandpa, time out. There's only so many hours (laughs) a day. But but, uh, uh, clearly, it was ingrained in my DNA early on, and I've been promoting that throughout the firm since day one. So we have over 19 certified financial planners here at the firm, um, four charter financial analysts, uh, I believe five charter financial consultants, and then more than a dozen other advanced degrees, designations with varying degrees of domain and expertise. Um, I don't think we would be where we are today without my uh, prodding, pushing, and supporting that we help pay for most, if not all, of the higher educational costs. We promote people once they attain these advanced degrees because they're more powerful and valuable to our clients. So higher education is extremely critical uh, to heritage. Well, fortunately for us and our clients, you listened to your grandfather, but you eventually pushed back a little bit and didn't spend your life in universities and pursuing credentials. You, you balanced it out a little bit because that did sound like a pretty daunting list. I'm still in school right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk about where the firm is today and the important milestone you just hit. And where do you see the firm going from here? So last year, we were very fortunate to surpass uh, a great milestone, which is $2 billion of assets under management. And as our firm continues to grow, we're able to reinvest more resources into the firm, hiring more talented individuals uh, to complement the current team and uh, to fulfill the mission and commit to making a positive and lasting financial impact on the lives of our clients, we need to continue to grow. We need to grow at an attractive rate. Uh, my team has heard me say this a hundred times, if we're not growing, we're dying. And uh, growth enables us to attract and retain great talent, offer career paths uh, to our employees, reinvest uh, back into our team, offer additional wealth management services, uh, enhance the technology that our clients are accustomed to working with, and then open more regional offices to better service our clients and, and more convenient locations while 
and, and continue to expand employee ownership. Thanks, Chuck, for sharing that. Um, it's great feedback. There's so much more we could talk about here, but this is a great overview of what investors should think about when they're selecting an advisor or wealth manager and some planning investment mistakes um, to avoid, and also just thoughts on where uh, the firm is going from here. If our listeners only take one thing away from our conversation as it relates to working with an advisor or firm, what should it be? One thing I would suggest is work with a fiduciary, uh, an advisory team that works tirelessly for your hard-earned wealth day in and day out and aligns their interests with yours. So uh, a fee-based relationship without commission, revenue sharing, hidden costs, any of that behind the scenes is the most pure, transparent way of aligning our interests together. So clearly, I'd recommend working with a fiduciary. Great. And since the name of our podcast is Wealthy Behavior, what's one wealthy behavior that you practice consistently and would recommend to our listeners? I think the number one practice uh, a client could take away from this discussion is to be disciplined, remain disciplined at all times with your financial plan, your investment strategy, through all the ups and downs. Uh, the media is going to throw curveballs at you. The markets are going to have their up and down roller coaster swings. Do not let emotions get in the way of sound, long-term prudent investment advice. And if you remain disciplined, you will win. Awesome advice. Thanks again, Chuck, for sharing this valuable insight and joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Sammy. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow Heritage Financial on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.